It is a privilege uh, to get to be here with you today and ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to begin a new series today that's going to take us through the next several weeks, actually take us through the rest of the fall, entitled The Story of God. And in this series, through the strength of God, I'm praying that uh, we will be able to go on a journey through the entirety of the record of God's working throughout biblical history. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to go verse by verse through the entire Bible in nine weeks. But rather, what we are going to do is we're going to draw back from a 30,000-foot view, and we're going to look at the overall story of God from different eras in biblical history. I'm thankful for the work of Iva May and the Chronological Bible Teaching Series. They were the first to introduce me to the idea of looking at the Bible, looking at the whole story of God in a chronological way. And their chronological Bible teaching materials breaks the scriptures up into 14 different eras in scripture. We're going to do the same, but we're going to do it in nine during our time together. But this is what we're hoping to do is to be able to take one era each Sunday and that for me to be able to kind of just just kind of download at first just kind of every all the as much information as we can about that era uh, and then begin to see what is God speaking to us in it. So I'm going to ask four questions each week that I'm going to attempt to answer in this series. First, it's just going to be kind of an overview of it. What are the major happenings uh, during this season in God's story during that era? Secondly, what are the key scriptures or themes that we need to know or see? Kind of what's the main thing that we need to see during that era? Thirdly, we're going to ask the question, what is God trying to say to us today from that era in biblical history? Uh, God's word is not just a record of what God has said, but also what he is saying. And these things are true. And so what is God wanting to say to us during that era? And then finally... We're going to ask each week, where are the redemptive threads in this era? Which is to say, where do we see God's plan to save humanity? Where do we see Jesus, the the pictures of Jesus, the picture of salvation all throughout the story? And so before we jump into our first era this morning, I, I just want to let you know why I feel like God is laying it on our hearts to do this series over the next several weeks. And first, I believe God wants us to be able to look at his overall story and to be able to articulate it for our own freedom. You know, so many Christians are intimidated when it comes to understanding the whole of the Bible. And in some ways, rightfully so. Many people don't realize that the Bible is not written in chronological order. It is not written in order of time. So if you were to start today reading in the book of Genesis, read all the way through the book of Revelations, you're going to read in different time periods and eras. You'll read through one time period and era, and then you'll jump way ahead to something else, and then you'll come back in it. And it's sometimes the ordering of it can leave you somewhat confused. But if we look at the whole of Scripture in a, a chronological way according to eras, then we can kind of get a better idea of the flow of everything that's happening. Also, by looking at the overall eras in Scripture, we can see that redemptive thread. We can see where, where God is heading th- towards things, where he's leading. Ultimately, you want to be able to sit down with somebody and just say, this is the story of God from the beginning to end. The Bible says that, or or, or historians would say, and rightfully so, that all of the Old Testament is pointing forwards to Jesus. And all the New Testament is pointing back 
towards him. And I've also found that it does something in our faith in being able to share the gospel, confidently share the gospel with those around us when we have a better working knowledge of what's going on. So my prayer would be is that God's going to set some people free from just being intimidated by the Bible and the story of God during this season. And then secondly... Being able to articulate God's overall story, it is good for our own faith. You know, the scripture tells us over and over again in the Old Testament that it is our responsibility, one generation, to proclaim to another the works of God. Psalms 145, 3 through 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. All throughout scripture, we are supposed to be a people who can say to the next generation, this is what God has done And build faith in them and also in ourselves. Acts chapter 7. The very first Christian martyr. The first person to give their lives for Jesus and for preaching the gospel was Stephen. And when he was arrested for preaching the gospel, if you read Acts 7, he preaches a sermon where he basically goes through the entire Bible. He starts at the beginning and he works his way all the way to the present. And you can see he knew what God was doing. He knew where he fit into God's redemptive story. And that built faith in him, ultimately a faith that was was able to sustain him even unto death. Church family, it does something in our faith when we know the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is still the same God today. It does something different in our prayers when you can pray through the story of God. God, I thank you that you're the same God who brought life to Sarah's barren womb. God, I thank you that you're the same God who parted the Red Seas. God, I thank you that you're the same God who brought down fire from heaven. God, I thank you that you're the same God who brought your people out of exile. God, I thank you that you're the same God who sent your son Jesus into this earth to die on the cross for my sin. And you walked out of that grave on the third day. God, you are the same God who is coming again one day as King of kings and Lord of lords. It changes things when I know who he is and what he's done. You know, sometimes you can know enough about something for it to be really good. Just this past week, uh, we surprised my little boy. His dog had ran away several months ago. And and so we got together with grandparents and everybody else. And we surprised him with a new little golden retriever puppy. If you you are a Facebook watcher, you may have seen uh, that video on our Facebook. Probably the sweetest thing in the history of the world, okay, to surprise this little fella uh, with his new little puppy. Now, as excited as he was in that moment... It just got better when we started telling him the whole backstory, how we were moving and shaking and things were working in the background to surprise him to that. And this is what you need to know when it comes to the story of God. If all you know this morning is that you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sin and he rose from the grave, you've got the best part of the story and it's good. But listen, it just gets better when you know the rest of the story, okay? And so that's what we're praying for during this series. So with that being said... Let's dive into our first era in God's story. And I want you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from this one verse. It's going to help us throughout the rest of this uh, message today. But this is right after sin entered the garden when Adam and Eve have fallen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, it says, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore... 
The Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray like Jeremiah, would you put your words in my mouth and that, God, that you would speak today what you want to do in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, we invite you right now to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, church family, so we're going to start era number one at the beginning. We're going to go back to the very beginning of Scripture. The title of our message today is God's Story in the Era of Creation and Early Humanity. So let's jump right into our first of four questions that we need to answer during this era of God's story. So question number one, what are the major happenings during this season in God's story? Well, throughout this series, most of our eras in God's story is going to have many contributors. There'll be several books, there'll be several authors, there'll be several different parts of Scripture that are speaking into it. This earliest era really only has this one book that is speaking into it. It's Genesis, who was written by Moses uh, later on. And it, Genesis chapters 1, verses 11, is actually our most foundational source in Scripture for knowledge about creation and early humanity. And, and in these 11 chapters here, there's really five things that are going, five major happenings in God's story. Now today, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of all of them. So the first major happening in this era in God's story is the story of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Since while silence and philosophy struggle To determine the origin of the earth and the foundations of life, the Bible reveals to humanity in the story of creation the answers to all of these all these questions. The creation story is found in Genesis chapters one and two, and it shows us many things. It shows us that there is a God, that God created all things that are seen and unseen in our world in six days of creation. And it's important to know that he created them ex nihilo, which means he created them out of nothing. The heavens, the stars, the planets, the earth, the waters, the plants, the animals, all fish, bacteria, atoms, everything that makes our world function, God created during this time span. But he also, during this time span, he created man. And he created man special. He gave man dominion over all of the earth. This passage and during this era we see that humanity is not one of creation. It is the chief of creation whom God had given dominion over the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 shows us why God created man special. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God made man special in the image of God. In the creation account, we see God giving humanity dominion over the earth and giving them the most basic instructions about how to live as creations, His creations in this earth. Church family, if there's anything that our searching world needs today, any passages of Scripture that our world needs today, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is probably some of the most foundational needs for our world today. It shows us what God has created, who we are intended to be, the basic facts about life. The second major happening in this era in God's story is then you move on to the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, we find Satan tempting Eve to sin against God by taking the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Eve sinned by taking the fruit and gave the fruit to her husband who ate it also. The Bible records that in this moment was the worst moment in the history of history. Humanity had now sinned and rebelled against the one true God. And at this moment, Adam and Eve began trending towards death. Death and sickness and brokenness all became a reality here that had not previously been part of God's design. And because of that, several curses came about. One, God cursed the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. This is the moment where tornadoes and floods and hurricanes and brokenness entered the world. As we also saw in our text this morning, eventually brokenness culminated in the fact that God had to take humanity and drive him out of the Garden of Eden. In this moment, humanity was separated from the presence of God. And sadly, it's because of Adam and Eve's sin that has been passed down to us is that we today still feel the same results of that. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Apostle Paul spoke about how the effects of Adam's sin in Genesis 3 still affects us today. He said, therefore, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Church family, literally every problem that we have in this world can be traced back to this moment in history. Psychologists, sociologists, medicine, science, and even philanthropists have been working since the beginning of time to try to fix the brokenness in our world. But if honestly, if we take an honest look at it, to no real avail. Sure, we have technology uh, that can make us do things faster. We have medicine that can heal. But still to this day, 100% of people still die. And it doesn't matter how much technology we have, we still does not fill the gap that we need as humanity. We have education and opportunity, but people still commit crimes. We have massive organizations that mobilize people to do good, but even the most benevolent actions can't solve every problem in the world. In fact, in our postmodern world, as advanced as we've become as a society, as humanity in the last couple of hundred years especially, we're not getting better, we're getting worse. Random shootings are happening at a level that we've never seen before. Sexual abuse and exploitation is becoming more rampant than ever. The reason why nothing really fixes brokenness in this world is because sin is the problem and man cannot fix sin. The third major happening in this era in God's story is the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the second generation of humanity on the earth with the first two sons of Adam and Eve who were Cain and Abel. In this story, we see that they had a knowledge of God that had likely been passed down to them from their parents and that one day they both decided to give offerings to God. The Bible says that Abel was pleased, with, or that God was pleased with Abel's offering because he brought up his first fruits. And by the way, all over Scripture, first fruits is synonymous with the tithe. So we see here Abel brought the tithe. He brought 10% of his crops, he brought to, or of, of his herd, he brought to the Lord as an offering, and God was pleased of that. But the Bible says that Cain brought an offering to God, and God was displeased. Church, this reminds us that when it comes to our offerings and our gifts and financial offerings to the kingdom work, that God deserves our best and not the rest. 
And this made, the Bible says this made Cain jealous, and he rose up and killed his brother Abel, the first murder in the history of the world. Think about how fast brokenness and sin elevated in human history. Adam and Eve sinned by taking the forbidden fruit, and their children murder one another here. We see this brokenness. Now, I do always have to take a time out and read this story and tell you one of the funniest stories in our family. So my brother's two oldest sons are Cooper and Abel. Not Cain and Abel. And so one day they were leaving church and my brother had them in the car and they were on the way home from church. And he said, hi boys, what did y'all learn about today? And Cooper, the oldest, said, dad, you're not going to believe what we talked about today. So there's these two brothers in the Bible and they're called Cain and Abel, not Cooper and Abel, but it's kind of like us. And he said, yeah, it kind of is. And he said, well, guess what? The older brother killed his younger brother named Abel. Kind of went, uh-huh. You know, and, and then Cooper got real quiet and he said, hey, dad, don't worry. I'm not going to kill Abel. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, I'm really, had and I'm really happy and kind of freaked out that you even felt like you needed to tell me that. Anyway, so. But right after this terrible happening, the Bible says that God asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain replies with one of the most callous but famous verses that we see in Scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? And then God ends up disciplining Cain for the rest of his life. This story is important because it shows us how quickly the sinfulness of man took root in the heart of humanity post the fall of man in the garden. The fourth major happening in this era is God's story in the story of Noah and the great flood. This happens in Genesis 6 through 10. We see the story of Noah's ark and the great flood. Noah was born ten generations removed from Adam over a thousand years after him. The Bible says that by the time we get to Noah's generation, that the sinfulness of man had elevated so far now, a thousand years, even from Cain and Abel. Listen what the Bible describes it in Genesis 6-5. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The sinfulness of man had become so great on the earth that God was going to destroy the earth in his wrath, save only one family, Noah. God commanded Noah to build a great ark or a great boat for his family and for all kinds of the animals on the earth. Once the ark was built, God sent rain on the earth for 40 days and the entire earth was flooded and the entire living population of the earth perished. The water remained on the earth for 150 days before it began to recede. After several months, God brought out Noah and his family on dry land, and they began to repopulate the earth. God made a covenant with Noah and the rest of humanity that he would never again destroy the world by water, and he gave the rainbow as a picture of that covenant. Some significant things to note about this story is that first off, almost every civilization in the history of the world has a story of a great flood, which for us who in our biblical worldview, we understand why that's the case. Because the descendants of Noah, all the people of the earth, is that ultimately that story was passed down throughout generations. We also know that as much as science would love to discredit the idea of a global flood, that there is so much evidence for it in the world. We can see that even today. You can see that when you're on a hillside or somewhere miles away from the ocean and you till up your field to plant your garden. You find seashells in the ground in random places where they shouldn't be. This happens all over the, all over the world. 
A most recent uh, study that I have seen recently that shows some evidence uh, to this is that scientists are now saying that the Black Sea was once a freshwater body of water. The same people who excavated the Titanic have, have, have uh, used their equipment there on the Black Sea and have been able to go down to depths far enough where they have found an ancient shoreline that they estimate was roughly 5,000 years ago. But there was a shoreline there where civilizations of people lived along the shoreline very far deep underneath the Black, the Black Sea. And the only thing that scientists can say is that it that caused it was at some point the Mediterranean Sea, which is nearby, but miles away must have flooded its banks and in their words a great flood in such a way that it made the Black Sea a saltwater body. And again, those who have a biblical worldview says, well, this is consistent with the biblical narrative of the flood. There's also so many other things that we need to hear about the flood there. The flood reminds us when we are asked by our children, well, why do we believe that we worship the one true God? of all the gods of the earth. And the reality is, is if you go back to a picture of Adam and Eve, who worshiped the one true God, and then even at the beginning again, when God started again at Noah, is that all the generations of man go back to Noah, who is the worshiper of the one true God. It also cures things like racism, and, 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 and racism and so many other forms of, uh, of segregation, so many forms of division among our society, when we all come back to the same of uh, the same peoples. And then the fifth and final major happening in the, this era in God's story is the story of the Tower of Babel. The story of the Tower of Babel is in Genesis chapter 11 and is yet again another story that describes the sinfulness of humanity on display. The Bible says here that humanity was united in this moment in time by language. Again, this would have been the descendants of Noah. And with this great ability to communicate with one another, far removed now again from the people of the flood, is that they decided to build a great city and a tower. And the Bible makes it clear, the language that is used there in Genesis 11, that the purpose of this great city and this tower was to worship their own reputation. They saw themselves as having the ability to do anything and they wanted to celebrate themselves. It shows us again how quickly God's people turned to worship of self versus worship from God. God saw the evil intent of their hearts and confused the people by giving them hundreds of different languages and ultimately scattering them about upon the earth. These people naturally would have gathered themselves together with people who spoke the same language and then they began to find their own places to live. This is how the earth became populated and this is where different nations and people groups came from, which we again still feel the effects of that today. Today in our world, there are over 7,000 dialects that are spoken in the world today. And of all the different ways that we can be connected today by technology, anybody who spent any time on the mission field or any time among the nations, language is still the greatest barrier today that keeps humanity from being connected. And by the way, church family, I love how the Bible gives simple explanations for all the things in the world, even the explanation for different languages. So church family, these are the five major moments in this earliest of eras in God's story. Question number two. What is a key scripture or theme to know from this era of history? I want us to look again at our text from this morning that we're going to focus on, Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says right here at the beginning, 
right after the fall of man, when sin has entered the world, that something happened with man and humanity, that they were separated. At the very beginning, we see that there was a moment when they were separated. Look at Genesis 3.23. The Lord God sent out from them, sent them out from the Garden of Eden. And you look at the beginning of verse 24, and he drove them out. This is an incredibly sad passage of Scripture. This is the moment where humanity and and God's relationship was fractured. And we've never been able to achieve that kind of reconnection in this world since then. And what happened because of that is that then, as soon as man separated from God, the sinfulness of man began to progressively get worse and worse and worse. If there's any theme... From this creation era, it is to show us that sin leads to separation from God. And separation from God leads to suffering. Think about this. Five eras in this earliest of history. The first is good. It's the creation moment. The next four are tainted with sin. The fall of man, you see the, uh, the great flood, you see the tower of Babel, you see the murder of Cain, uh, uh, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. As soon as we were separated from God and sin entered the world, is that separation and suffering began to take place. And church family, as we will look throughout the Bible, as we'll look on this journey, that theme continues. Sin separates us from God and separation continues to lead to suffering. Question number three. What are some of the key points God wants us to know about this era in God's story? Again, we leave this era of human history with the reality of man's perpetual struggle with sin and suffering and all that that brings. Here in the earliest account of God's record of humanity, we see the source of sin, which is the fall of man. We see the separation that sin causes between God and man. We see the saturation of sin and how that spread to all humanity. And then immediately after the fall of man, we see the suffering that sin brings. But today, there are several truths in this era that we need to look at. The first is this. What does this era have to say to us? First, it reminds us that there is a God. Again, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. This era in history shows us that there is a one true God who created and sustains all things. This era also shows us about that one true God, that he is a God who is engaged and interested in what is going on in humanity, and that he has a standard and a design for all of us to obey. God is not some God who is separate from the world, but he wants to be engaged in all of creation, in all that is going on here, and he is engaged. And then lastly, and this is really important, the fact that there is a God in this era shows us that all of humanity and creation are a possession of the one true God. We are created by Him. We belong to Him. If there's anything this era should say to us today is that there is a God and that we are not our own. We are accountable to the God who created us. Secondly, this era in God's story shows us that sin is still separating humanity from God. In the same way we see as soon as sin entered the world in Adam and Eve and then immediately with Cain and Abel, the flood, even post uh, the, the flood with 
the Tower of Babel, you see how the progression of sinfulness is that humanity is tainted and separated from God. And that goes even down to us today. Remember we quoted earlier Romans 5.12 about how through one man sin entered the world and death through one sin. The Bible shows us that we still suffer separation from God because of sin. The Apostle Paul spoke about those people who do not know Jesus, and Jesus is the way. We'll get to that in a moment about how we get into a relation, back into a relationship with God. But those who do not know Jesus, how because of our sins, we are separated from God. Ephesians 2.12 says this of them, that those people have no hope and are without God in this world. This earliest of creation era in early humanity we see in the Bible shows us that sin still affects us today. And even today there are those who are without God, without hope in this world. And not only that, it doesn't just show us that we don't know God, but the Bible also shows us in Romans 5.10 that we are enemies of God. Because of God and His holiness, not only are we separated from God, but humanity is enemies of God without Christ. This morning one pastor said... Sin is the longest-running global pandemic in the history of the world with a 100% infection rate. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, this earliest of biblical history of God's story shows us that we are broken, that we are all infected with sin. And the curse of that sin leads to death in this life and also death eternally in light of the wrath of God. Thirdly, from this era in history, we need to know that sin and separation from God still brings about suffering. And the same way we see there early in creation is that Cain suffered, or the Adam and Eve suffered the consequences of their sin. They were naked, they were separated from God. That Cain, because of his sin of murder, is that he was disciplined by God in a terrible way for the rest of his life. The flood is a result of sin, God's consequences on that. The separation of God's people and their languages, the confusion that God gave them, again, is a consequence for sin. If there's anything that this era shows us over and over again is that sin not only separates us from God, but sin brings about consequences. And the greatest consequence of that is our separation from God. Maybe some of you this morning, you feel empty. You feel broken in your heart and life. You feel separated. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 here. The reason why you feel that way is because you've been driven out of the presence of God because of your sin. And this is the truth. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy. And this is what this passage shows us. And then fourthly, this era in God's history also shows us That amidst sinful humanity, there are always those who attempt to please God. While the overarching theme in this era in God's story is the sinfulness of man, there's also a more subtle theme that is also we will see throughout the Bible. And that is there always seems to be those few people who will commit to attempt to honor God when the world around them does not. In this earliest of creation story, while it is blanketed with so much sinfulness, you still find people like Abel, who brought their best fruits to God and was attempting to honor God. You still find people like Noah, who the Bible says had found favor with God. People who were attempting to honor the Lord when nobody else around them was. Church family, this is an important word for us today. 
in a world that continues to celebrate the things that God despises, continues to press further and further away. We have to be the people that should remind us today, oh God, help me to be an Abel. Help me to be a Noah. A Noah. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he spoke about how God's always got those few people who decide to honor him in the midst of a season when the majority will not. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This era in God's story should remind us, oh God, help me to be one of the few. God, help me to enter in through the narrow gate. God, help me to be one of the ones who honor you when others will not. Church family, we've seen these people. We see them in our heart and life. We see the people, as the Bible says, they shine as lights in the midst of the darkness. Students here, teenagers, middle schoolers here today, this could be those who choose to honor the Lord. Is that they don't go to certain parties and they don't participate in certain things. And even though they may catch some ridicule for it, they, they do it as unto the Lord because they've attempted to honor God. Adults, it is those who make a decision not to speak the way certain people speak or watch certain things or allow certain things into their homes. Those everybody else around you may, you attempt to do different to honor the Lord. Even things like making Sundays sacred. And then employees. This could look like those who stand and honor God in the workplace. When everybody else, when the boss's back is turned and everybody else make, take one of those secret breaks or sit down on the job, you are one of the greatest employees in the world because you do it as unto the Lord. Church, if this era should say anything to us today, it should say to us that sin is real. That we still, we still see the effects of sin in our lives. But God would have us to be a people, if you claim to know him, that stand out, that look differently in a world that does not. And our fourth and final question we must answer today is where is the redemptive thread in this era? Man, if you really start walking into this era, you're like, hey, this is a pretty depressing era here, man. You see, God's people sin against God, and that now we're all infected with this sinfulness and we're separated from God. What can we do? And the reality is, is that this passage also shows us that in the midst of all of humanity being broken and separated from God, that God was moving and working, that the plan was always that God was going to bring man unto him. The first picture of redemption that we see in this era is the prophecy of Satan's head being crushed by the seed of a woman. In Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of man, right after Adam and Eve have sinned, the Bible says that God is, is dealing out judgment in these moments. And he starts speaking to Satan. And he says to Satan in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, basically strife, between you and the woman... Between your seed, being the, the, the seed of darkness, evil, and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, saying that basically the seed of a woman is going to bruise you on the head. That word bruise means to be crushed. But you shall bruise him on the hill. Now, theologians refer to this as the proto-evangelion. That's a $3 word that you don't have to remember. But basically what it means is this is the very first prophecy of Jesus. All throughout Scripture and even the rest of human history is that we see that when you're talking about procreation, when you're talking about the descendants of people, is that the seed of man is always 
the terminology that is used. It's the descendants. The seed of man would be procreation. It is somebody who's given birth of the seed of man. Basically, lineage is always tracked down through the man. But only in this place in Scripture do you see the phrase, her seed. Essentially, that, that a woman would give child, would give birth without a man. That there's no man to play here in this moment. And it would have to be a supernatural thing. And then he's saying, basically, whatever this supernatural child would be, is that this supernatural child would crush the head of Satan, but would be injured in the process. And we know, fast forward to the New Testament, again, in God's story, we see this play out. Is that her seed, this supernatural work, it has only happened once in the history of the world, and that was the virgin birth of Mary giving birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus, the Son of God, would, because he was born of the virgin birth, he was able to avoid that sinful nature passed down through Adam. And so he was born 100% flesh and 100% God, but he was able to live a sinless life. And while living that sinless life, he willingly went to the cross. That's what the cross is about. Jesus went to the cross innocent, taking on the sin of the world, having taking it on himself. Basically, that's how Satan had claim over our hearts and lives. It's because we were seeds of Satan. We were descendants of Satan because of our sin. But when Jesus took our sin upon himself, being innocent and paid for it on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan. Is it? He revoked Satan's claim over sin because he took it on himself. And for all of those of us who would believe in him, now Jesus can take our sin and we can be reunited to God. Can I get an amen hallelujah for that this morning? But again, he would crush the head of Satan, but he would be injured. He would be bruised. And the process is that Jesus would die. He would give his life. He would say on the cross, it is finished. As he was completing a great work that had started thousands of years before then, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he would rise from the grave to prove that he did what he said he did. This is the first redemptive picture. And by the way, if you're here this morning, yes, you have been infected by sin that has been spread down to you from Adam and your separation from God leads to suffering. But because of what Jesus would do is that he can revoke the sin curse on your life and he can give you freedom and forgiveness and he can bring you back into God. Sin drove you away, but the Savior can bring you home. The second picture of redemption in this era is the provision by God to Adam and Eve of garments of skin to clothe their nakedness. We read this this morning in Genesis 3, 21, right before he drives them away. The Bible says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The main redemptive picture here that we need to see that's beautiful is that even though Adam and Eve had just rebelled against God, Think about the, the, this is the creation of God. They just rebelled against God. But yet God saw them in their sinfulness. He saw them in their consequences of sin. But yet he had compassion on them. This morning, if you are here, if you're watching online and you are separated from God because of your sin and you are in the middle of your suffering, you know you're suffering because you're separated from God because separation from God always happens because of sin and separation always leads to suffering. But if you're here this morning, God does not run away from us when we sin. He has compassion. He comes to us. 
he clothed their nakedness. But only temporarily. But this was the first death. By him being able to clothe them with skins, it shows us that God had killed an animal there in the Garden of Eden. The first death in humanity was to cover man's nakedness. Now here's the picture. This would only cover their external nakedness. This death would only serve as a temporary covering. What they would need is something greater. Is that one day Jesus would give his blood and he would serve as a greater sacrifice. And he would eternally cover our nakedness. And uh, I was thinking this last week of all the animals God could have killed in the garden. And this is my sanctified imagination here this morning. But what skins did he clothe them, clothe them with today? It is, would be just like God, I think, to have killed a lamb. And to have covered them with the skin of a lamb. To temporarily cover them. And then one day, he would shed the blood of his own son, the sacrificial lamb, the son of God, to cover us of our sin. But the picture there is that death took place like Christ would. And then the final picture of redemption in this era is the rescue from the wrath of God against sin in the ark. The Bible gives us here this terrible picture of the wrath of God being poured out on humanity. And and people will say sometimes, liberal uh, theologians would even say, God has progressed. God wouldn't do such a thing like that again. No, the reality is, is that one day everybody on this earth will stand before a holy God. And that those who do not know Him will eternally be cast into a lake of fire apart from Him in His judgment. Again, God will one day judge this entire earth again. But those who know him, like the ark, will float safely above the flood of his wrath. And there's a picture even in the ark. So many pictures of the gospel. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come. And I just want to give you some of these pictures here that are so good. The Bible says that uh, we know from the New Testament that Noah didn't just build the ark. He was also a preacher of righteousness. Uh, He was inviting people. He's preaching that people should repent and come to him. The Bible says that God told Noah to build an ark. And again, this ark would be what would save them. But the only way into that ark was one door. He had one door. One door that would lead to safety. Jesus would say in John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you need to be saved this morning from the wrath of God... You're infected with sin like all of us are. And hear me this morning, unless you've been born again, unless Jesus has come to live and dwell in your heart and life, you are still infected by that sin. And you are, as Scripture would say, abiding under the wrath of God. If you sense that inner suffering, everything around you may be good, but something inside of you missing, it could very well be that you don't know Jesus this morning. He is the door. He is the way to the Father and the only way. But the Bible also says that door was big. It was a big, wide door. All the kinds of the earth, were, uh, the animals were going to make its way into that door. And Noah's out there preaching righteousness. You know, you know what Jesus would say in John chapter 10, verse 9? I am the door. And if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Not only is there a way, Jesus is the only way to God, but it's a wide way. He is saying, come. He's saying, come to me. I love how the scriptures show us that God loves bringing people into the kingdom. Maybe this morning, you just need to hear that today. God wants you. Say, no, Zach, he don't want me. No, I'm telling you, he wants you. No, I've done too much. No, I'm telling you, he wants you. Maybe this morning you know Jesus, but you feel like God's given up on you. No, hear me this morning. He loves you. 
He's a Savior. He comes to us in our nakedness. The last picture of the ark. The Bible says when the rain started, when the wrath of God was about to be poured out, that God closed the door. God closed the door. Noah didn't close it. God did. Church family, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and then after this, the judgment. One day, the opportunity to come to know Jesus, the opportunity to be saved, that door will close. And just like all those people outside the ark perished under the wrath of God, one day, if you don't know Jesus, there's no way to get in. By the way, that's why we got to go pray, see, share, and proclaim. That's what i got to tell people about Jesus. Just this last week, I'm telling you, this little wristband, if you hadn't gotten it yet, it's a good reminder. I walked past some people that were parked in the church parking lot, and I started to open the door, and I looked, and that little wristband reminded me, hey, I need to just go stop and introduce myself. Turned around, introduced myself to these people, got in a conversation before it was over with. 24-year-old Crystal had given her life to Jesus. Church family, hear me today. God, God wants to use you, man. God wants to use you. But that door's going to close. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you can give your life to him today. You can enter onto the ark. You can come into a safe place where your Savior is going to love you and care for you. If only you'd receive him. And this morning, you can do that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to invite you right there where you are. If you don't know Jesus this morning, as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never been, the Scripture would say, born again, but a, become a new creation in Him. If you were to die tonight and you don't know for certain that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Him, you can give your life to Jesus right now. Call out to Him. You can pray a prayer like this to God. And from your heart to the Lord, you can pray, Dear Jesus, right now. Call out to Him say, Dear Jesus, I don't know you. I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is a holy moment here. But I'm not going to embarrass you. This is between you and I. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just look up at me? This is going to be between me and you. Just would you be bold enough right there where you say, Pastor Zach, hey, I'm just asking you right now. Again, this is between you and God. But I just want to be able to pray for you. Is that you here today? Just glance up. Amen. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. Man, I'm just looking around. Right now, if I don't see you, just slip your hand up right there where you are. I just want to be able to pray for you. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you do that? Amen. I see you. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. This is what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you ask Jesus to save you, then here in a few moments, we're going to sing. If you'll just take that little blue card out of the seat back in front of you, and you can mark on there your name, phone number, and there's a place where you can mark on there, I gave my life to Jesus, and just put that in one of these collection boxes as we are dismissed today. Church family, if God is moving and speaking in your heart today that I need to be one of those people, 
I need to be an Abel. I need to be a Noah in this day where so many are turning away from you. Then maybe right now you need to recommit to say, Oh God, help me to be different. But if the Lord is speaking to you in any way this morning, you go do business with Him. Today is the day of salvation. God is waiting to hear from you. If you need somebody to pray for you, and our pastors are going to be up front, you feel free to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to join this church, you feel free to come as we prepare to sing. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray you'd give people boldness to respond in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Would you stand? If you need to come, our pastors are here. Come as we sing.